Welcome, everybody, to The Art of Influence, a conversation with Sean Gladwell. Um, my name is Blair French. I am the CEO of Carriage Works here in Sydney. Um, and it's my pleasure to welcome you all here um, and to introduce Sean. But first, I'd just like to acknowledge that I am speaking from, um, from Carriage Works in Everly Strike Redfern in Sydney on the lands of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. Um, I'd like to acknowledge elders past present and indeed those emerging and um, pay respects and, and acknowledge also the, the, the strength and knowledge and continuous um, ownership and sovereignty over the lands in which I work and the importance of, of that to the work in which um, the organisation I'm a part of tries to undertake and undertake um, uh, with artists and with creative um, endeavour at the heart of everything we do. Um, Sean, welcome. There he is. Sean is in Nam um, on, on the lands of the Kulin Nation, um, experiencing the um, long lockdown period. Um, and we might talk about that a little bit, about what it is to be an artist in, in this moment. So first of all, just um, I think we're going to have a conversation for sort of roughly 45 minutes and then have some questions at the end. But also feel free to um, type in questions as we go and I'll pick some of those up on the screen. Um, I think these sort of conversations are really best um, if we're responsive to, to our audience and to the sorts of things you'd really like to hear Sean talking about. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how difficult it is to talk uh, from an artist's perspective and also from myself as a curator writer to talk about artists and artwork without the artwork in front of us or sort of around us in some way. And we've done these types of conversations and in, in exhibitions and other contexts in the past. So, um, we may be a little abstract in this regard, or we might talk about things other than specifically Sean's own work. Um, I'd just like to start by saying that Sean and I go back a long time. I was noting down last night the sort of projects that we've worked on down the years and how that might influence the type of things we've talked about. Uh, and I think we've really done really sort of six key things together. I've had six kind of key encounters with Sean's practice down the years. Um, First as an examiner, examiner of his master's thesis, which I don't think he likes me bringing up, but it, um, I, I refer to it all the time. Blair. Wow, the first one's got me really <laughs> terrified. So where are we heading here? Sorry. But, yeah. um, sorry. <laughs> then, um, you know, we've worked together on shows at Performance Space, um, his first survey show at Art Space <laughs> here in Sydney, um, his Venice Biennale project in terms of um, my writing with him for that book. Um, a project in Christchurch that people are probably over in, over here in Australia less familiar with, and we might talk about that a little minute because it was uh, sort of Sean's, um, one of his forays into public space and, and sculpture. And most recently, and I realised last night, uh, 12 months ago, this to the day the show was still actually on and available to the public and what seemed like a whole other reality, um, Sean's survey show Pacific Undertow at the MCA here in Sydney. So we might talk through some of those things, but I'd really like to talk a little bit more, ask Sean to talk about, you know, um, perspectives from his career as an artist to date. Um, and it's worth noting... Before we do, Blair, can I also just um, mention that my engagement with your work was actually before you were examining my, um, <laughs> if you could call it a okay. thesis, I'm not sure. Let's not go there in terms of trying to, it was, um, it, it was a really great response, but I, I'm not so sure about my, my, my writing capacity, but it was your shows at the ACP and your local writing. So that's just where we're at in terms of that history. But also um, I think um, 
now doing this, this is really quite exciting. Sorry, I just wanted to just mention that um, before we proceed. All good. So, I mean, I was also looking at Sean's CV last night and noticed that he, you know, which I did know, but hadn't really thought about that. He finished um, at SCA, Sydney University, 1996, with his honours degree um, and actually in painting. And that was actually the, the year I also graduated from the University of Sydney. Um, so we're both alumni. Um, and that is now a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, Sean looked a lot more fresh-faced. That was just because he'd shaved at that point. <laughs> so, Sean, I wanted I want to talk a little bit about, or ask you to talk a little bit about... Um, you're changing perspective from being an art student into moving into the professional art world, but rather than start at the beginning, let's sort of start at the present. And can I just ask you, you know, how you are going during lockdown and particularly as an artist who does a lot of work out in public space, you know, filming, shooting, performing, how are you going being in the studio? Well, I think, um, I think it's, it's more like a sort of challenge rather than a problem to sort of work in domestic spaces, but that's always been an interesting kind of idea anyway, you know, within the kind of Bachelardian idea of a poetics of space, you could kind of try and work within the house or a studio or um, say exercise is happening within a, a five kilometer radius of one's residence and they just become these challenges. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it'd, it'd probably take some time to process the work that's being produced now um actually do you know like i think that there if there's if there's a future sort of category in film festivals for work that was produced during homeschooling for in instance you know like <laughs> that would be really interesting to see what say filmmakers or artists or um performance artists or people who work in a kind of um or whoever just you know people who are working in traditional media how they're dealing with um being restricted um uh, for a, for a better good, like a kind of um, a civic sort of obedience, you know, uh, and then production within that. And that's an interest. I mean, but I'm not sure how mine's going. It's a bit too early to say because I'm kind of in the middle of it. So I'm not sure if I'm getting out of that one. But well, we're looking at a very clean space behind you, so we're not looking at lots of canvases and lots of drawing and lots of printmaking sort of taking place at home. We're we're looking at your hard drives and yeah, actually, what looks like a, um, a virtual reality sensor behind you. So I presume that it's, that that's the space in which you're working materially, that it is about film and moving image still. But it could also be saying too much gaming and VR. <laughs> and the computer doesn't currently work at the moment because it needs a new graphics card. So it's pretty deceiving. It's the, it's the, it's the evil of images, I think. No, I mean, I, that, that's kind of really screen space has become something so valuable, um, you know, where it was this kind of, I mean, I guess the, the shift is, 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 is wild, but um, also VR and the idea of like, say, social events taking place in, in platforms like Fortnite or, you know, concerts happening in there and big multi-user domains. That's, that's probably saved a lot of people from um, lockdown, but I've, you know, I've got too many commitments to do any frontline research in that area. It's been really tough to find the time for screen space, but this is, this is the kind of screen space I want to see. Misjudging okay. your palette, your, your, your palette as, sun, uh, you know, I think I, I <laughs> thought you might've got a bit of sun, but we're not getting much sun down here except for today. Anyway. So I'm going to ask you a couple more things about 
you know, they inevitably, inevitably ask you about the sort of impact on work and thinking and being as an artist of this, of this current moment. So we'll probably come back to this a little bit in another form later on. But you know, as an artist, you're somebody who um, I've associated a lot with, with movement. Now, there's the obvious thing about movement in your work. You, you, you study movement in a certain extent to a certain extent in your work, but you're also a very mobile person as an artist. And it's a little bit emblematic of a generation, but I think you are, you know, a particular epitome of this. You have traveled enormously to make and to show and indeed to research, um, you know, for someone who lived in the UK for a long time, it seemed to see you as much as when you lived in Sydney, because you seem to be back here, constantly moving back and forth between places. Your work involves you often going out into environments, whether they be you know, outback, urban, you know, whatever. Um, so again, it's this idea of, you've just talked about it, the, the constriction, you're making almost a new conceptual frame out of constriction. But I also want to ask, you know, what, what is it to be an artist, you know, in a sense, an international artist or a global artist or a mobile artist in an age of immobility and being restricted to the local? And do you think that'll have a lasting effect on the way in which you approach being an artist? Yeah. I mean, I think it'll, it'll I mean, it, it'll certainly influence um, current um, work. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, the last project I did was really just having a cinematographer friend come over and her husband um, who works on grips in a professional way and making a work that was really within the domestic, but then trying to sort of almost like project what you would like to be doing within say urban space or how you would like to read or, or think about um, more space, but you just have to kind of restrict it to um, the studio or the domestic, but then in, in a conceptual way, you, you have people like sort of, you know, Bruce Nauman saying, well, anything that happens in the studio can be art, you know, and that was a debate going on since art school. Like we knew about that through SCA because it was the more theoretical. Is this where the, the pitch comes in from my, my experience at SCA as, as being more theoretically sort of angled? We found that out at art school that Nauman would say that you 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 could try and invent your job every day if you wished or you could attach yourself to a medium if you wished or artists were you know talking about dismantling signature styles and all sorts of stuff so it was it was a really exciting environment but it, i think it also um was this idea of problem solving or or you if you do something you have to justify it theoretically you have to understand why you're heading into maybe not an understanding of the medium or the the subject, but into those kinds of problems. And they could plague you for the rest of your life, <laughs> you know, like how to work with space and your body, you know, just like a, a really simple um, equation can be reduced to this kind of, you know, this kind of playing out through different processes and whatever. So I'm just in one now um, and, you know, the Andrews government has, has me at the house and the studio and I do two hours of exercise, which is it, everyone just has to calibrate their world to, 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 to do that accordingly. I really like running at the moment just in terms of the physical and I make work about running at the moment um, because I'm so kind of enamoured by it. But that just means instead of running for longer periods, you have to try and run for a shorter, faster period, which is for me a really terrifying thing to do in public. 
you know, you have to try and go to a sports field at night to do that. It looks horrible. There's profuse perspiration. I, I probably need to change the subject. <laughs> okay. You can change the subject, although you've led me to where I, I kind of wanted to go, which was actually to go, you know, we talked a little bit about the current. Let's go right back to, to art school. Um, and my first question really is what, what drew you to going to art school in the first place? Um, I think it was because I wasn't sure um, what to do and I loved drawing and I loved thinking about the world visually and I was, and I loved visual culture um, and I loved, and I loved, I just loved, I just loved this idea of maybe trying it, seeing what it would be like to go to art school. I think art school was a real romantic idea for me beyond being a professional artist, which you apparently learned how to do at art school. So I sort of was excited, but I was the first person in my family to kind of sign up for tertiary education. I had um, relatives uh, that had that experience, but it, I didn't have like a sort of a roadmap from family history, um, which was interesting because I, I, I sort of used my parents' um, support, but they were athletes. So I didn't have that purification between say the athletic and the aesthetic. Um, and at art school, it was an interesting thing to try and, you know, stitch up my experience and then see if I could justify artworks through, through thinking about what art school was going to teach me. And I'm not sure how to, how, that's a big cheapest. Well, well, rather than what art school taught you, and you've, you've actually already touched on this a little bit, what did art school prepare you for? What, did, um, I, what tools did it give you? I think I was really lucky that we were all helping each other as a group of students, you know, and the, and the faculty were incredible at sort of cultivating that. But also there was a lot of, you know, um, there was a really, it was a great dynamic, but I'm probably romanticizing it now because it's been so long. I'm not, I, but I, I have to check with my colleagues and um, you know, there was, other other people who became professional artists after that experience. And um, yeah, I think it's different for different times in your life. Why you want to try and keep producing work professionally. It's just incredibly satisfying. And um, I don't think I was prepared for art school and, you know, it was a very personal journey in some ways, but I'm glad I went to SEA and, but I also, I'm glad I, I did postgraduate work because I wasn't ready to go out, and do field work without really trying to work out what I wanted to do. And that took a lot of tertiary education. In my case, I just needed to be institutionalized for a long time before I, because I, I did, you know, masters and, and then a kind of a year after masters. So it was quite, it was actually, I sort of fell in love with research, I guess, at SCA. Well, I was going to ask you, but in a funny way, you, you deflected this question already. You know, when you get, often the, the really challenging, difficult, but exciting moments in one's life are when you finish something and you're not quite sure what's next. And mm -hmm. so I just wondered, and particularly since I'm sure we have probably a number of students on this conversation, um, you know, what, what the Australian art world and maybe the, maybe the broader art world internationally looked like to you standing at the edge of you've just finished that SCA degree. And, and did you have any understanding or concept or ideas about how to kind of take a step into it? Not really. I think, I think the world was kind of within my experience at SCA. 
you know, because it was like a really mature age sort of um, student population. It was various. Um, um, I had, we had Matthias Gerber who was of, uh, very proud of his Dutch origin, but had this incredible technical um, faculty and way of reading his kind of Australianness and this kind of incredible transitional uh, and seminal figure. You know, um, John Nixon was kind of visiting. I miss John at that point and um, his passing is very sad of recent, but there was, he was, he was, I, he, he, he came and visited the painting department and would talk to students. Uh, we would have ADS Donaldson. We'd have lots of people were visiting interstate, but it felt like the, the experience was international just through, you know, John Young was there. We had Sue Baker. We had, you know, it was a great, it just seemed like we were, I was, I was surrounded by these people who were giving me so much information that I, I don't know how to explain it other than through the experience of being with those people, which was very valuable. So you just made a comment about being, you know, institutionalized or the support structure of being in an institution. Um, but you just also then referred to it in terms of people, which I think is really critical. Yeah. Um, so you finished, you finished art school. And so you moved on to, um, the other art schools, so what we're allowed to say on this call to do a master's. Um, and I was seeing your work um, popping up in you know, the Travelling Art Scholarship and other shows, you know, primarily in painting. And then around that sort of 2000 mark, you know, starting to see those, those early video works. Uh, and, you know, again, what was critical is in many ways, as an outsider looking in from my point of view, as a, as a critical curator, um, there seemed to be the work was emerging both as an incredibly strong individual sensibility, but actually also from within the community. So you've just mentioned people. So in this case, the Imperial Slacks group, for example, amongst other sort of groups of colleagues and peers and friends that you, you worked with um, yeah. at that time. Do you want to talk a little bit about the importance of that, of that sort of sense of community to practice and also maybe both in terms of giving reflective criticism, like, you know, Pushing, pushing you along, challenging what you're doing as, as at the same time supporting and extending it. Yeah, I think, I think it was um, a powerful experience just through finding people that wanted to try a project like that, to try and live together and, and curate each other's and other works into a space. And, and, you, know, and, and you know, for me, even the way that the Slacks kind of operated was through this kind of classical Greek spatial logic of having a kind of an agora which was the the exhibition space and then you had this the stoa you know do you, do you want to describe imperial stakes a little bit for those that may not be familiar it was um, just a collective uh, that that grew out of a few graduate uh, sort of students at at the college of fine arts which is of course the university of new south wales art and design now and and i think formerly city art institute so it's, it's had this kind of transformation um and it's, and it's interesting because um, that group of students just wanting to live together and I wasn't actually officially living there. I was um, partnered to a slacker. And so my, my official status was a strap on apparently in terms of the, that's the, sorry, I'm just using this language. Uh, but the, the, but the, um, the experience was powerful, but I think that I already felt a kind of um, a, a a sense of community from my experience at SEA, but I, well, I, because it was um, a group of people who decided to do honours after their degree, 
and it, there was this kind of it was competitive but there was a lot of kind of um collegial activity going on uh that i hadn't experienced at high school you know because i was like alone i was off with these skateboarders in car parks and um you know reading with my brothers or whatever i was doing but it was it was different and then there was this other experience of being at university and living with some of the the the, the university extending the university into your 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 life um 24 hours which has its problems as well i'm not going to romanticize that i'm interested in the sense of possibility that emerged out of that group because so many of you have gone on to have you know, really significant solo careers or you know, in various fields, but primarily as artists um, and very internationally focused in many ways. Uh, you know, when you look back at that moment, was there any of that that you could have foresaw or you actually talked about or thought you were collectively or individually heading somewhere? Uh, not, not really. I mean, I felt like, again, there was so much kind of... Um, of a, a kind of an international experience within the community of the slackers, for example, you know, like I, I, cause I was a kid from the suburbs and I hadn't traveled internationally until I promised myself I'd finished dueling with sort of tertiary education. And then, you know, so I, I, I hadn't been anywhere, but then we had Monica Tikacek or, you know, um, Sean Cadero's experience and, 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 people from different parts of Sydney and their, their, you know, it was a different socioeconomic mix um, of people as well. And that was, it was exciting to just not um, switch that experience of exchange off in a way. It would, it was really quite an, an but I wasn't expecting anything. It was quite weird. I didn't think that one experience would lead on to, to another um, in a kind of teleological way, even at that stage, it was a really organic thing that just sort of started to grow and then it, it had a name. And then, you know, like I was interested in the, the history of um, collectives within Sydney, like, uh, you know, art, art empire industry, for example. And that was also international and, you know, Jeff Gibson then would that. It, so it, it seems like it was, uh, when we looked around, it was just one moment where we, we're lucky enough to get a warehouse <laughs> to be honest it was about real estate and that didn't last very long yeah let's talk a little bit about your work at the time because this is when you start making video and a part of it thinking back now is, is so much around the technological opportunity of that moment you know basically the handy cam the digital camera all of a sudden being accessible portable carry it around in your skateboard your bike whatever start shooting in the street um, did you have sort of models for that or was it just sort of freeform play a little bit to begin with? I mean, I was aware of um, other artists bringing in their sort of experience like very early into their work and claiming that they had some sort of maybe experience over the materials or the conditions. You know, I think um, like someone like um, even, I guess from the, someone saying that they had that over their their, their bodies, I guess they could say, through performance, you know, the history of performance art in terms of endurance or stamina. But I was, I was kind of maybe more interested in what I was seeing in the lounge room, you know, like sports action replay or whatever, this, 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 this experience of what I was experiencing out of um, a formal 
art sort of experience or an art historically defined experience was was as interesting. And I, it took me time at art school to kind of maybe work out how to put that together, if at all. It would kind of be in a, a, an abrupt kind of duel somehow. I'm not sure how to explain it. I've got off the track there, dude. Sorry, I'm just going to... No, no, no. no, no, no. You really that. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Finding that quite interesting, actually. But we will, we'll shift and we'll come back to the practice because you just mentioned a little moment ago that, you know, you kind of hadn't really done the travel, hadn't been overseas in an extensive way, hadn't you, know, you, you put yourself through that, that tertiary experience first. So you, you kind of did the two things together, though. You slammed them together a bit by going overseas early on to actually study at Goldsmiths. And I'm just kind of interested in the impact that Goldsmiths and, and you know, its its name, its reputation within the contemporary art world as a, as a, as a tertiary institution, what that did for your practice and what, cha- what new challenges maybe it threw up for you? I think it's, I think, I think it, would, it was interesting because I wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, I knew that it was, um, it was going to be an experience where they try and challenge you on some level, but it was probably good to have an experience at SCA where, I I was I was really interested in the theory. I was misreading it, and uh, you know, Mark Jackson was horrified, and you know, uh, you know, there was some there was some pretty bad um, essays that were turned in, and I, I you know, I, I'm not saying that I had any handle on it, but I I was interested in that aspect of SEA, and there was no life drawing and whatever that sort of maybe led me to you know, I I was still fueled by those ideas. Uh, at Kofa, and that was another experience. I can't, sorry, I've mentioned the damn, can you edit that out? It's live, damn, whatever. And then, but uh, Goldsmiths was, was, was supposed to be tough, but it was, it was just a different kind of interesting in terms of the experience educationally, but it, but they didn't want to talk about, um, say, postmodernism anymore. You know, Australia had its own conversation within um, certain theoretical debates and, they were sort of interested in an automodernism or there was, you know, sort of stuff that was happening that I was just getting up to speed with, like say relational practice, you know, or, or seeing that stuff actually taking place in the social rather than what I, what I was experiencing, which was fine because it was, you know, it was like a kind of report. And then there was an actual exchange with, with say people from overseas who were working in, in my, community or whatever so it was it was it was a kind of you know goldsmiths was um was the crying artist seminars were tough though where they make they try and talk about your work but no one knows whose work it is and then by the end of the seminar you're crying no one really no one really cried though that was just the rep that I think that was a part of the prospectus at one stage that you're supposed to cry after the it was there was this romance about being broken down as an artist and turned into a gold. It was horrible. I mean, that was the discussion. And that it was, that was new to me because that wasn't a part of why I went to SA. Just, it was, it was that, you know, it was, it was, they were, I think at the time they were advertising bigger studio spaces, <laughs> undergraduate artist. No, I'm not. It was, it was really a great space. And also the institution transformed during my experience. It was amazing. It was, it went from, Say so it was great to hear Mark Newson talk about um, Balmain, but I sort of started off in Balmain, and then by my honours year we had moved to Kirkbride. So it was this kind of 
it, the, the actual bricks and mortar of the institution was in transition during my experience of SEA. And that, and that was a huge ex- part of the, of, the, of the whole experience of, of being there, really, for a lot of us. Yeah. So from, from the perspective of, you know, say, being at Goldsmiths or just being away, you know, how did, how did the Australian art world appear to you at distance compared to what it had appeared to you emerging into it? just a, a year or two earlier? I mean, pretty, pretty amazing, really. I mean, like, I, be, I guess I didn't, I didn't feel like I was in, um, in better or clearer or deeper water at all. I mean, I would look at, say, what Jeff Gibson was writing about in art and text and go, wow, we, we were, we're onto this grunge already, guys. It's cool, you know. We've sort of, like, you know, it wasn't like it was, there was, a, there was already so much exchange that there was no... Um, say, I, I, you know, a kind of uh, Smith-like provincialism. It was, it was all cool. It was like every, everyone was kind of in, in exchange. Um, you know, not like, say, say Nikos Papastogiatis going to Cambridge and you know, trying to work out what the hell postmodernism is. Mm-hmm. It was like this feedback loop from France to the US and then Australia. And then there was this, but that, for me to be there, it was great to not know who, who was working there at the time, um, other than the, the staff, you know, that was great to line up with the students, I guess, and yeah. try and work out what to do. <laughs> so we're going to come back and we're sort of, we're not going to do this entirely chronologically, but there's one more thing, a couple more things chronologically, I guess I'm interested in. One is you come, you come back from Goldsmiths, you're here in the mid noughties. I think you, that's when you and I started doing some shows together, but you're spending a lot of time working in Asia, you know, Japan, Korea in particular, um, I'm kind of interested in that that being a, a, a really exciting um, cultural space and professional space for younger artists from Australia at that moment and what had created that and, and what you, you know, what that experience was for you. Yeah, I think, I think it, it was, um, it was always, it was always a, a part of, um, going anywhere it wasn't always having to be in Europe or you know the you know it was it was like um, but then I guess I remember being at SCA going to Perth was a real issue because I remember going to the um, travel agent um, I don't need to na- name the agency because uh, the whole industry is so <laughs> suffering on such a level at the moment that I need a, an extra stab in the back here so it, it, it's all anonymous but the travel agent um, reported that the cost of the flight to Perth to attend this show, which I was excited about because it was my first show out of, out of the state, really this hatched um, show. Um, but, but then it was the same, it was the same price to get to Southeast Asia. So already I knew that there was this exciting option and then the, the domestic travel was exciting. Any exci- travel is exciting, but it, but Asia, culturally was already a part of my life. You know what I mean? Like from, from the cultural in terms of the, the landscape and the suburb that I lived in right through to the visual and, you know, SBS or ABC programming and, you know, Japanimation and manga and on whatever level, you know, it was or So it, it was, it was quite a thrill to be able to work over there. It was an honor, but I was quite lost, you know, on a, I needed, a lot of help to, to organize anything than my own handicam. So that was really, it was really, it was kind of humbling as well to get those experiences um, from, I guess, thinking that 
the invitation was to was to kind of work in 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 a way that I I knew or or understood, and then get a chance to maybe make a work for for an exhibition. That would probably have been the most terrifying and exciting, I think, of all. But but any any a, a chance to exhibit is is um, is an honour. So I would always you know I'm I'm always interested in, in, in exhibiting in whatever form. So I'm not yeah, sure. I mean, you know, at that time, I think we did the show at Artspace in 2007 and it didn't start as an organizing principle, but basically that show was almost entirely, but uh, I'd think a new work made up of works that you had made in Korea or Japan over the preceding couple of years that hadn't been shown in Australia. I mean, I think it was quite revealing to me and to a lot of people that, that there was this body of, accumulating work and I don't think you were the only artist of your generation who was experiencing this being invited um, to these places and to these shows like Yokohama and Busan Biennale and others um, to make to make new work that we weren't necessarily seeing back here there was a whole sort of other arm of, of people's careers that were taking place um, which I think talking about other arms I'm not as bad as some or, or as um, say sort of committed as say Stellark who went over there and came back 18 years later do you know what I mean? To, mm. to, to yeah, there were precedents. Yeah, right? Japanese I mean, robotics, and he just mm. fell in love in such a. Mm. It wasn't Southeast Asia. He just got completely. You know, this whole it was an incredible experience. But I, I, I feel like I was all, always having to kind of sort of work in a way that there was so 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 many restrictions um, that that was interesting. You know, like given the parameters, or there was a time frame, or whatever. But then what happened in scape was interesting because there were all, there was also a kind of, you know, it was a kind of a, a rupturing or a crisis that um, it was almost, you know, it was a kind of terrain that, that required a really delicate or a particular way of working. So I don't know if I'm sort of throwing you under the bus there, man, with that one as a segue. We'll have to talk about it now. Um, so the project that Sean's referring to is a, is a biennial that um, I curated of public art or artist projects in the public space um, can see for the city of Christchurch. And I initially began that, that project, that biennial, prior to the Christchurch earthquakes and the, the Christchurch earthquakes sort of disrupted its realisation. Uh, and, I, and I stayed on to continue working on that and created a second, for me, I think it was the sixth or seventh iteration of the biennial, um, Project and Sean was one of the artists I invited into that into that project. In part, going way way back in our conversations and in some of Sean's writings and artist statements around referring to um, his interest in public sculpture being determined by um, you know his his working out of ways in which to skate objects in space. So you know a whole different framework for thinking about the use value and the aesthetic value of, of, a, of a, an object in public space. But also after the, after the second really devastating major earthquake in, um, in 2011 in, uh, um, in Christchurch, there was a, um, uh, a series of videos that were produced or particularly one main video by by a bunch of young skateboarders and um, put up on YouTube that became quite famous, um, you know, collected into museums now. But Sean was the first person to send me the link and say, what's going on here? Have a look at this. I'm sure you might've been in Europe at the time. And they were images of videos of young people getting out on their boards into the red zone. So getting in behind the army lines because the army had cordoned off the city and 
reclaiming, in a sense, or rearticulating a relationship to this incredibly devastated and broken space. Um, so that started a conversation. I'm going to pass over to Sean now to sort of um, talk a little bit about that work. And I, I think, you know, specifically since we haven't been talking about a lot of work, both describe it, but also just those motivations in terms of thinking about art's place, stroke purpose, stroke value, I guess, in a sense, within a public realm. Because I think this does inform a lot of your work. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, and also, I'm, I'm, I was honoured to, to be able to work um, in Christchurch, even though that it was a really tough environment. I remember thinking that that video that came through was um, a kind of almost an indication of what I was hoping to do with my practice, which was to try and remember or to cultivate that, that thing that happens um, with skateboarding and other urban activity, which is to try and, you know, um, sort of work out a sort of different function to whatever the prescribed or designed function of objects or um, civic space might offer. So that, that when, I, when I see examples of, of, say, in this case, street skateboarding being performed at such a level and in such a way that it sort of brings a different, different reading to what, what say, um, you know, liquefaction might do to a, to a, a, a kind of a, a tar, tarred surface or, you know, the, the idea that like a, a skateboarder can see a fallen monument um, as a kind of, you know, grind box or a, or a ledge, you know, that's, it's almost like, you know, I don't know. Um, it's, it was, it was, it was such a, a shock to me to, to think of the speed at which they reported their activity as well. It was as much the speed of the editing and the whole, it was the, the world of skateboarding was finding out a different side of the, the, um, of the crisis, but, but also knowing that we were still seeing what was happening through other channels and media. So it was a kind of a different channel just popped up in skateboarding. Which is the same as what happens, say, I, I see LA skateboarders skateboarding in, in, and skateboarders from South America in, in plazas, um, you know, um, Sao Paulo, whatever, they're, in, they're recording tricks that they haven't been able to do at that hour of the day or sometimes never because the terrain has been too populated. So, you know, we're talking about lockdown, but actually some practices, and we, I have to recognise this, um, because I'm indebted to them in some way or, or still trying to learn what they, what they are in themselves and what they mean to me is, you know, street BMX and street skateboarding and, you know, um, graffiti. Like that's all having a renaissance right now. <laughs> it's like there's terrifying economics behind why that happens. But that, that seemed to be what was happening in that video and the experience afterwards was maybe producing a sculpture that related and honoured the video. You know, yeah, I mean, one of the most compelling things about that video was looking at all the, all the footage of damage. It's very hard to get a sort of sense of scale and impact, really, if you're looking on a, on a screen, on a news feed, on social media, etc. But the point that video where the skateboard, there's one skateboarder following another, filming the person in front, and the person in front literally disappears down a crack in the road. Just, oh, yeah. I think this is a good, good moment to ask one that, that did pop up, which was um, about risk. Um, because I guess in some senses your, um, your practice has engaged with the extremities of physical activity and risk, but maybe there are risks in other senses. So one of the questions is simply, through your career, how has your relationship to risk evolved? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think um, that's a great question because I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I think maybe the risk somehow becomes uh, a sort of a different kind somehow. I mean, and I'm, I think maybe it, it's dependent on my body and my age, you know, like this is what I'm having to try and understand because it's like the same old thing you hear from, um, you know, middle-aged um, men in lycra mammals, you know, that we're sort of, we're suffering these injuries that are not going away. And it's horrific. So I think the risk has to be something that I'm having to manage, like almost like trying to, calculate the risk on injury but then um it's also why again from you know an early questioning why would i be wanting to risk that you know like i, I look to to other australian artists like mike parr who seem seems to do this in a way that's so kind of humbling like he just his relationship to risk is always so high you know even though he's He's not getting. I'm not, can we just keep? We could just talk about Mike Parr for the rest of the. No, no, the rest of, yeah. <laughs> but he's like that. That's probably another session. Yeah, that's a deeply kind of, you know, humbling thing because it's like I'm I'm interested in maybe a different kind of risk to that. That, but then there's also the fact that there's there is a sort of masochism um, involved in or a kind of just a, an endurance or a stamina or a, but, but my, my time frame is, is kind of compressed rather than say, um, there's a lot of training involved, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm answering that. We should. Speak. Well, I'm going to shift, shift your focus a little bit when thinking about risk. One of the questions that popped up on my screen um, is asking you to talk about how you became a war artist or how you took on that, that commission. So that would be interesting to hear about, but also in that framework of risk, because your work as a war artist is both a study of people under pressure, people in a sense taking on risk. Uh, and, I, and I guess as a, you've, you've talked a little bit about it in various forums in the past, I mean, it's also placing yourself in a certain type of risk. Mm. So do you want to talk a little bit about yeah. how that came about and then what, what that experience was? Yeah, I think... Um maybe if I go to the war artist thing, it was, I guess it's a, it's a thing that I've sort of, it's, it's a kind of, um, again, a family drama and family issues. And I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at this now. It's just that risk was always involved in dinner table conversation because my parents were um, involved in sort of sport or of ultra marathon running at one point and came from, my mother came from athletics. My father was a, um, a professional soldier. So, um, and then my my mother's family had this kind of this history um, as well. So I felt like I came from a military um, family in some sense, but then I rejected that and eventually um, let the war memorial know through a friend that I had that um, interest uh, in in again empirically observing something, so that I feel like I know the the space rather than. Um, just purely um, or not, I'm not sure. I'm just maybe a different a misunderstanding of the space through being there with my body. Maybe that's a better way of, of saying it without trying to um, say, say anything given the time, but it was, it was, um, yeah, again, it was risky, but then I felt like it was mediated a lot by technology and um, politics and um, you know, it was, 
it was a very it was a very different understanding of risk. But then I still think that we could talk about say what Dick Hebdige would say about risk, which was that the punk would sort of take a safety pin, which is designed for a baby's nappy, and by putting it through their nose, they're sort of risking a symbolic inversion of 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 something through that gesture. You know what I mean? And so. Risk can also be talking about how I like using nasal dilators now in the Andrews um, government because um, we should be wearing mandatory face masks. But if you can run in a park and sort of in, in a sort of wooded area, you can probably whip out a nasal dilator and feel like you're a teenager getting an exhaust sort of soup up with your car and, you know, wearing what is essentially the opposite of a mask. So I'm, I'm not sure... We could, uh, like, I don't know where that one went, Sean, but... <laughs> well, let's we'll talk about risking, risking, I guess risk can be something that the, 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 can be something as minute as a mask to a nasal dilator or a, yeah, a, 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 yeah sorry. I don't no, want to... I mean, actually, you, you make a point because in a sense, we're all obsessed now with risk mitigation or, yeah. or our personal and collective trade-offs between risk and pleasure, risk and yeah. living our lives the way we want to, to live them. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a couple of questions that have popped up um, that kind of look at, ask a little bit of you in terms of responding to your own work, in terms of the looking back through the, through the lens of our current moment. So one's around the inversion in Pacific Undertow sequence, but actually there's inversion, in, of course, in, in a number of your works. Um, and this person's asking, you know, sort of making the comment that it, it feels like it's something of a, a metaphor for our current sort of sense of disorientation or being overwhelmed um, by external forces. I'm just wondering how, how you think about inversion in your work, whether what, what the, the sort of sense that you're trying to convey in, that, in the work is in that regard um, and how you do think, do, do you think it takes on amplified meaning or amplified um, impression in the current moment? Well, I guess I just have to kind of open it to that reading. Like I can't lock it off and say that I've always loved disorientation and being overwhelmed by forces of nature. But you know what I mean? Like it's, if that's how people feel and then the, they're reading the work through their own experience, then sure, their reading is, is, is um, you know, more important than my, my um, intention. And there was no intention, um, I guess, other than, that yeah, being inverted is is really interesting for a moment, and then it can be sort of a, a torturous experience actually, and and actually a form of torture, inversion. But but then you know say there's small tricks to make it easier that you know other practices have you know like I I, I guess I'm I'm interested in Pacific uh, work like Pacific Undertow being an experience that a lot of surfers have. It's not unusual to be inverted under a crashing wave you know so that's almost a, a kind of a risk that lots of people take and they identify with their sport or that's a huge cultural um sort of field right there you know like so I'm, I'm sort of always thinking about how to think of those experiences that a lot of people have um or or they risk in their activity because of the whatever the yeah. the pleasure pain equation or whatever but but in in a way that sort of um somehow i don't know even just by inverting it on this to 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 end this is um is to um is to maybe look at it differently for a second but it's really great to be upside down you know it's it's, you know like richard like when i I think i saw richard gear in 
um, American Gigolo when he had the gravity boots. And I thought, oh, wow. But I only had like a beam out in the, <laughs> in the garage and you just put a mattress down and present you're a bat. It's fantastic. Yeah. So on that note, um, I want to talk a little bit about your move into, you know, move into but your exploration of virtual reality and, and those sort of expanded um, fields of uh, apprehension and perception. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that does, you know, that in part that, that sort of idea of inversion and spatial disorientation, you really start to, to push in the works of the last four or five years using virtual reality in particular. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what has drawn you into that space um, and what, what do you know, in a sense, what you're hoping that space will offer as an artist? Um, well, I think, it was, I think it was just another um, opportunity that I was, a luck, I was lucky enough to have a few friends who had already sort of done some research, you know, like Leo Faber had already worked with, with the commercial side of um, VR and production and stuff. So that was interesting because people were getting back to me saying that it was getting to that stage where it was out of the lab and, you know, SciGraph and different organisations within Australia would have already demonstrated it as with, you know, shopping centres doing different versions of it in its early kind of um, iterations. But then for it to be mobile, you know, like we were sort of having that conversation about the um, mobilisation of certain technology through its miniaturization and, you know, battery power and all those design elements that go into sort of shaping technology that that was happening with VR. And once something becomes mobile and, and sort of consumable, you know, it's like my fascination with say, um, Iman's Tillers and the Frederick's canvas boards or something. It was like, it was like a, wow, you know, it all of a sudden huge paintings became, um, composite and you know they can um travel in stacks or you can just see picture plans as being these you know it was just an exciting time to be to be thinking about a medium that was kind of going through that 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 technology that was going through that transition and becoming you know maybe a bit too accessible i mean one of the interesting things (laughs) when we were working on the show last year and leading up to it and you were making a new VR work, you're also sort of painting and in, and in a sense there's this conversation and it, that keeps going back, but you're also making a suite of prints at the time, the Australian Print Workshop, that were actually in a sense drawing from some of these um, spatial expansion that you were experiencing in VR. So it might be interesting for people to hear a little bit about your, your thinking about working back and forth across media. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we tried during the show last year was sort of say it wasn't didn't sort of start with painting, move to video and go to VR, that these things are in a constant conversation in your practice. Oh, uh, yeah, I think, I think that idea that, um, that you don't have to be sort of, well, you think of an idea perhaps and that the, and the, the, and the, the medium or would then be the, you could select somehow as the most kind of appropriate way to deliver the idea rather than having to kind of process all the ideas through a medium, although that's not a problem because if anyone's committed to a a particular, you know, practice, then that's a specialization and I'm really terrible Jack of all trades, you know, but I just like that idea of giving it a go, you know, also it it happens in sport or in athletics, you know, you just sort of, you you know, I I remember um, being interested in sort of cross country running, but at a certain level, you just have to do some extra training, 
uh, and then uh, but then watching it is fine as well you know it's like it's kind of my relationship to mediums at a certain point have to i have to defer to specialists because mine mine is really um about trying to work out how far i can go and you know there's so many problems with say 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 going back to vr um or even handicams you know like the work would be limited by the 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 memory of the camera you know that was really or the all the work would end at one point in in the early student works, um, some of which were checked, checked out by a university um, equipment department, you know, it was because they got so waterlogged they'd stop working or something and then you'd have to try and thaw them out. And, you know, there was, there was, kind of, there was a lot of restrictions mechanically, but I, anyway, I just... Um, I'm gonna, we're almost at the end. Um, I haven't got through everyone's questions on, that have come up on the screen, so I'm sorry about that, everyone. Um, I want to end from my point of view, with, with sort of one question, which is, you know, you, uh, you've had a very um, significant career to date and there's going to be a lot more to come. It's actually got you quite a public figure as an artist. I mean, you're probably one of those people that, if, you know, you ask people to name an Australian artist, you would be top of one of the first names that come to mind. It's been quite a prominent career. Now, you can shake your head and whatever. But terrifying, I it's a terrifying uh, You know. There, there are there are a number, but it's but it's to have that degree of public being in the public consciousness is is not that common an experience for for an artist in any art form in this country. So I'm wondering uh, to what extent you're kind of conscious of that, and 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 whether that in any way sort of impinges upon the way in which you approach your work, or you have, you bear it in mind at all or whether you're able to just leave that to one side. And in a sense, it's a question of what is it to be an artist in Australia over the last 20 years? Yeah, I'm not, I, I guess it changes so much because, you know, like um, we, were, we were, we sort of, there's a lot that doesn't change. You know, like I'm still helping my friends out with work and they're still helping me out. You know what I mean? It's still, I think it's almost like the, I have to recognise that the relationships and the friendships that I formed in, um, as far back as art school and before, um, but art school most definitely still um, are the kind of, you know, you know Greg Ferris and right, Kazumuchi Grime, you know, all the, uh, the and um, you know, Tation uh, Noble, all these people they were they were helping. We were all helping each other make work, and that was exciting as as exciting as um, them all teaming up. And that, but then those there's still, there's still um, echoes and um, reverberations that I don't know if I could explain right now, given, you know, it's just, it's just that, um, yeah, but working now, well, it's been great working at home. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm, I'm answering the question or <laughs> in any kind of coherent way, but anyway, it's, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Public life, public life is something I'd love to just, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, I just feel like there's a, there, I've got a local public life where they just think I'm just some weird Forrest Gump guy, you know, I'm the Forrest Gump dude. Who, and that's cool. Cause I am, I do a lot of sort of um, very slow running in bike lanes in my suburb of Melbourne and I'm, and I'm probably pissing a lot of people off. So um, I think my public life is probably um, maybe I should be doing more VR. <laughs> I'm not sure, but that's a public space as well. Yeah, the digital. So that's an agora, just as as valid as the physical. Okay, I think we're at our time, Sean. 
as ever, so much more we could talk about. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us online. Thanks to the University of Sydney for hosting this. Look forward to talking in person very soon. Hey, thanks so much, Blair, for, for um, also spending some um, time out of your schedule for this one, man. Thank you. Uh, always a pleasure. We're coming in right on time, man. I'm looking, is this thing? Yep. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Sydney Ideas podcast. For more information, head to sydney.edu.au forward slash sydney hyphen ideas. It's where you'll find the transcript for this podcast and our contact details if you'd like to get in touch with a question or feedback. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss a new episode. Search for Sydney Ideas on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Finally, we want to acknowledge that this podcast was made in Sydney, which sits on the land of the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. It is upon their ancestral lands that the University of Sydney is built.